0: Welcome, everyone, to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast, the podcast focused on leadership. The episode will begin shortly. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Dr. John Bedker Leadership Podcast. I am your host, John Bedker. All right, this is the second in a series of podcasts about collectivism, which is to say unions. Now, last time we spoke about quite a few theoretical and practical matters about the union movement, a little bit about its history, a little bit about how we got to where we are today. Well, today's podcast, we're going to continue that discussion and we're going to now bring real companies in the United States, companies that are sometimes in fact global, into the conversation. So we'll bring this theory into practice, so to speak. The question really revolves around a number of issues. I'm going to focus on two to begin with though. One is, as I I hope made clear in the last podcast, we need at some point to determine whether the few or the many will prevail in labor management relations. I made that point last time about these incredible gains and and great, I'm all for it, uh, for those people in the so-called C-suite, right? That chief executive officer, that chief financial officer, technology officer, whatever the other c word suite members are, that they have really had substantial gains. I detailed it with some research, over 1,400% gains in the last few decades. Certainly nothing like labor. So that few, that small number of people at the top of the leadership pyramid of today's larger corporations certainly, Uh, have benefited, and they have benefited well. What about the workers, the people that provide the goods, the services? They deliver the product. They maintain the product. They are the face of that corporation many, many times. Well, for them, the story, as I indicated last, has really been quite different. Their gains have been given grudgingly. Political action has occurred. Uh, I made this point about these, quote, right-to-work states. Well, it sounds nice. But really what that means is these are anti-union states. States that for political purpose, to try to deter collectivism. Well, the arguments that we're going to talk about today have to do uh, with this notion about the rising tide raising all boats. Or not. And the or not kind of goes like this. If I could poke a hole in the other person's boat and maybe it would sink, somehow that will make my boat rise up. It will help my Circumstance. Well, from a leadership point of view, what we need to be clear about, what we really and truly need to understand is that a rising tide can raise all boats, And in fact, from that leadership point of view, it should. Because what is leadership? This is that fundamental definition I constantly go to, and it rings so true in this case of collectivism. Do the right thing. That's the essence of each of your roles, each of your jobs, each of your challenges as a leader. Do the right thing. So we're going to talk about now some actual companies, some actual experiences some that are uh, underway, some that have occurred, and some that might be forthcoming. Um, I will try to be brief, but I think it's important that you understand that the magnitude of the relationship between labor and management is significant. And there are really two central themes. Should labor participate? in the profits, in the benefits, in the success of their employing company, their employer corporation? Or should, again, only that few, those people at the high end, the leadership benefit? Well, historically, it has been largely the leadership. Now, for a number of reasons, the pandemic for one, workers are speaking out. And they're speaking up. And here's that first thing from a leadership point of view. I really want you to capture these competing interests of human capital and physical capital. Now, this may be a description of your company, but it certainly is many, many companies that are both highly labor intensive, require a lot of people, and highly capital intensive, taking a lot of money to run that company well, effectively and efficiently. So, this idea that these people, needing a whole bunch of people, a lot of people, that so many of these companies are labor intensive, is in juxtaposition to wanting to make that profit, because they then inherently are very capital-intensive as well. You don't have to think very long and hard to realize some of these examples, and I'll point them out with some numbers here in just a few minutes. Okay, but let's begin. Let's talk about labor and the leadership in labor, Because there is a new leader. There's a new Teamsters president. His name is Sean O'Brien. Very strong man. Very committed man who believes in collectivism and stands up with force for his members. All right. So he has been present and has been a resoundingly loud voice for labor in the most recent spat of contract problems. What's he worried about? Well, he's worried about workers, but specifically what does he do? Well, he is concerned that labor is not getting the attention that the moneyed side is getting. And he wants that balance to be corrected. Well, How does he think that one should go about doing this? And I want to talk about one area in particular, and that is the two-tiered wage system. Now, this might be a foreign term to some of you. Uh, I will tell you that for me personally, it is not. Uh, I have done research and publications in this area. I have been a product of that. Uh, It is a so-called B-scale. That's the term, the B scale. And what it says is a worker of the same category, the same class, a person doing the exact same job as another person is paid at a lower rate of pay than their counterpart next door. They are a B scale employee. Same job, same training, same expectation, Identical in every way, except compensation. They are a B-scale employee. And the new Teamsters president, Sean O'Brien, says this must come to an end. So it was expanded in 2018. I can tell you that it began a long, long time before Back in the 1970s, sadly, um, airlines did it to hire new pilots. Eastern, Transworld, company that I flew for, Transworld Airlines had a B scale. You would often see pilots walking around the airport with buttons on the lapels of their uniform jackets with the letter B with a line drawn through it. No B. Pilot Flying an airplane, just the same as the other pilot, but on a different pay scale. This has now become pervasive, and companies even today are attempting to do that. Why? Because it helps financially the corporation. If someone is willing to work for less to do the same work, identically the same work as another, same category and class of employment, but a different rate of pay. So doing away with this two-tier wage system, a B scale, is one of the key things that many are negotiating to do. So what about the numbers? Let's bring that data in, the thing I believe is so important. Well, we're gonna talk about UPS here in just a little bit, but the United Parcel Service has about 340,000 package car drivers and workers at UPS. Wow, quite a large number. The new president uh, of the Teamsters, again Sean O'Brien, promised that they would strike if they were unable to meet agreement with management at UPS. I'm going to talk more about that. There's actually a bit of good news in that story. The auto industry, this is a looming issue, an issue which could be quite, quite large. The big three, I think most people know who they are, Ford, General Motors, his last name maybe not as well known, Stellantis, formerly known as Chrysler, that's the name most people know, well, those contracts, 150,000 auto workers, is set to expire on the 14th of September. So here's a, here's a place where they really and truly want to understand uh, issues. Certainly that two-tier wage and benefit program that I've spoken about uh, moments ago is on the table for them. New hires starting at just $17 an hour. What are they getting in benefits? They're getting a 401k, most of you know what that is, instead of a pension. Instead of a pension. They want to win back cost of living adjustments. They want some job security. These are the major issues. And they want to understand what that future looks like with the possible shift to electric vehicle production. What about coastal workers, those people that deliver the letters? Well, this represents, maybe surprisingly to some of you, the nation's largest union workforce, 200,000 letter carriers. Their contract is set to expire soon as well. So, They, too, have tried to impose a two-tier B-scale work system. But they have become so desperate that now, in some areas, they're already hiring straight into that higher A-scale system. Not because they want to, because they just literally don't have enough people. Caterpillar, heavy equipment. Again, United Auto Workers, it's about 5,000 people. In Illinois, it too has a contract coming pending. The United Electrical Workers, UE as it's called, has about 1,400 locomotive workers, also with a coming contract. General Electric, GE, 3,000 members of the International Union of Electrical Workers. Coming to. The airlines, I spoke a little bit about that already. I spoke somewhat about it last time, but there are a number of issues there for this very important industry, the U.S. Airlines. Talked about a possible strike vote coming from the flight attendants at American Airlines. Over 20,000 flight attendants. And in a sense, as important and huge as that is, it doesn't matter because they could shut down American Airlines, the largest carrier in the United States. Not intentionally, not because they want to, but because they cannot get down and have a voice at the table for a new contract. Incredible. Southwest Airlines pilots, similar situation, talking about, taking a strike vote. Now the airlines are governed, ruled, if you will, by this political law known as the Railway Labor Act. So the distance between talking about a strike and actually being able to implore a work action, a strike, takes a long period of time and a whole bunch of steps. But these processes that are looming are really quite unsettling. Again, back to one of my central theses for this podcast, these competing interests of highly intensive labor organizations that are simultaneously highly intensive on their need for capital. So how do you do that? How do you do that? From a leadership point of view, what you have to do is sit down. You have to talk. And you have to talk honestly and truthfully with each of those sides to understand there needs to be an offer and acceptance between the parties so that both can agree to the best they are able. It won't be perfect for either side but to the best that they are able to move that business, that enterprise, forward. Serving the public, delivering the products, the goods, the services, whatever they are about. So, these are real companies with real challenges in the near future, covering hundreds of thousands. What about education? Well, we've got members of the United Teachers of Los Angeles working under an expired contract since past June. They're looking, yeah, for a pay raise. They would love to have smaller classes, give more time to the students. They are working under an expired contract. The 30,000 teachers at the nation's second largest school district struck back in 2019 for a few days, nine days, And they won some class size reductions and a commitment from the district to provide a nurse in every school and a librarian in all middle and high schools. Good things, positive things. What we need to do is have more productive dialogue like that. That is a role and a responsibility of leaders. In New York City, The nation's largest school district, 110,000 educators, also working under an expired contract. And so this list goes on. I won't belabor it further, but the point is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of employees are either wanting or needing to talk about their employment their contractual relationship with their employer. I'm going to go now to one of the largest employers in the United States, Amazon. I want to talk about this because it kind of brings currency to this discussion and the role that leadership can, could, and I will argue must engage in to really understand this delicate balance between the physical financial needs and requirements of an organization, as well as their human capital needs as well. This is an article from the uh, Harvard Gazette. It's dated the 31st of July. And uh, what it's gonna talk about is a new Harvard Business School case. Many of you know they use a case study method there, and this is a new case. The title of it, Why Better Pay, did not stop Amazon employees from trying to unionize. Here's the quick summary. More than wages, employees trying to organize say they want to be treated with dignity. A case study by Reshan Hussan and Trevor Fetter. Explore recent high-profile efforts to bring unions inside of Amazon, their warehouses in particular, and what leaders can learn from this experience. Let me just read uh, a short bit from this new, uh, the article from Jay Fitzgerald from this new Harvard Business School case study. Here we go. When unionization rumors began, most companies react by throwing money at the problem, but that did not halt the drive, because if workers feel mistreated or ignored, that will not be enough, as Amazon found out. The company boosted hourly wages and benefits for warehouse workers, but many employees Continued to call for union intervention. They said the company disregarded their concerns that they were being monitored, overworked, and in some cases placed in unsafe environments. Quote Yes, they wanted a livable wage, but more than that, every employee we spoke with was asking to be treated with dignity and given a voice. End quote says Reshman Hussam. He's an assistant professor at the Harvard Business School who examined employee complaints at Amazon warehouses for this recent case study. Quote, when we refer to them as labor, we often forget that managers and workers are equally human. Labor is not a disposable Resource, end quote. So the bottom line here is that raising that wage, particularly a minimum wage, even, will not cut it. So most of you know uh, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, 1994. It's now the second largest employer in the United States. He's tried to tout itself as a cool and risk taking company that strives to be the, again, in quotes, Earth's best employer. Over the years, Amazon, which employed 1.6 million people worldwide in 2022, has won praise for its innovative success. But the company has also racked up criticism for alleged anti-competitive practices. Failure to pay income taxes in some years, And subpar working conditions at its warehouses, according to the case study. What we're finding out at Amazon is that this great company, this company that many, maybe all of us, uh, use with frequency and regularity, has another side to it how it handles its people. They've talked about injuries, they've talked about tracking workers and what the consequences to this have been. Employees are being told to take fewer breaks, avoid using the restroom, to keep up with the pressure of meeting expected production targets. Workers have said they have walked as much as 15 miles a day. I think about these large warehouses and walking here and there and everywhere, and I'm wondering wonder how much that would be. They've actually tracked it, and shown some of these workers have walked 15 miles in a day. Meanwhile, the managers have digitally tracked where the workers were located at all times. The pace of their work, their productivity levels, the consequences for falling short of expectations were severe. For example, using these monitoring technologies, Amazon fired 300 workers, that's more than 10% of its staff in Baltimore in 2018 for failing to meet productivity goals. All right, so that's a real life example. Let's try to finish up here, though, quickly with maybe the beginnings of a good example, and that is about UPS. UPS has achieved a tentative agreement known as a TA. Now, in a contract, there's all these components, four main ones, but the key one is offer and acceptance. Whether it comes from the company or the union, they make an offer, particular item, whatever that may be. The other side negotiates, and in the end, hopefully they accept. And this goes back and forth with each side making requests, the things that they might like to include or exclude in the upcoming contract. That might be a rate of pay. It could be a benefit. It could be any number of things. So what happens in the case of UPS? This is a giant. Everybody knows that name. Uh, represented by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Again, we've talked about them at some length and roughly 330,000 union-represented employees. Well, this is is what uh, they have so far agreed to, and it appears that it might very well happen. The tentative contract, which local union representatives near unanimously approved just this past Monday, still requires a majority vote to be ratified. Wage bumps. For full-time and part-time employees. Okay, that's good. Money important, but what about other things? Well, using the U.S. Postal Service, a program called Sure Post, those will be reduced so that UPS employees can benefit from making those deliveries. They would be paid. Drones, driverless vehicles are going to now have to be negotiated. As part of the new tentative agreement. And here's one shocking though it may seem in an age of climate change, and I think, as most of us know, a very warm summer. New vehicles at UPS are now going to have air conditioning. Can you imagine not having that? All right, Um, more full time job opportunities and other highlights. The point being that they sat down, each side had a voice. They had to be emphatic on what the lines were, air conditioning as an example. Um, But in the end, they did reach offer and acceptance between the two parties, the company and its union members. So that's a good story, one to finish on. All right, so real-life examples about a real-life circumstance, so critical for leaders, each and every one of us, to understand the worth and dignity that labor needs to have, including a voice at the table. It will make the company better. It'll make the workplace better. And in that long term, I wholeheartedly believe it'll make that stock price better as well. Thank you all for tuning in to the Dr. John Bedker Leadership Podcast. I am very grateful. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. John Bedker's Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please tell your friends and, of course, please follow our podcast and subscribe. Thank you again for tuning in.